Thank you, Chua, for the announcement. I, uh, boy, it does feel like early 2020. I'm still struggling with my mask and mic. <laughs> All right. You know, I sat behind Chua in homeroom since middle school, seventh grade, and the Lord has brought us this far. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Um, well, friends, we've gathered here to worship, and I, and I think I, I do want to point out how oftentimes we seek times and moments like this, right? When everything's just stripped away and simple, when we can really see what we believe and is to ask, is that enough? And I think in, in times like this where, you know, the praise is so minimal, where the preacher isn't that great, you know, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we can really focus. And that wasn't good, huh? I was, I was just kidding, by the way, Pastor Phoebe. But all that to say that we're here because the Lord is worthy. We're worshiping. We've, we're tuned in. We've, we've settled in all together here to worship because God is worthy. Not because the music is great or the preaching is bombastic or intellectually stimulating, but simply because God is worthy. He's called us here. So what a joy it is to be able to worship together. Friends, I want to ask us as we continue in our worship uh, that we would have God's word open us up to Genesis chapter 27. Genesis chapter 27, we're going to be reading from verse 1 to 4, and then we'll jump over to verse 21 to 29, and then we'll find ourselves in Ephesians 6 for the first two verses. So there's a bit of jumping around, but I will make sure we stay together. But if you will rise now and follow along with us for the reading of God's word, starting in Genesis 27, verse 1 through 4. This is the holy word of the Lord. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, Take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Verse 21, we continue. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him, because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hand. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See the smell of my son 
is all the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. We are in Ephesians 6, verse 1 through 2. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. This is the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated and join us as we sing this song as our prayer. Speak, O Lord, and renew our minds. Help us grasp the heights of your plans for us. Truths unchanged from the dawn of time that will echo down through eternity. And by grace we'll stand, and your promises and by faith we'll walk as you walk with us. Speak, O Lord, till your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, I just want to remind everyone here that's uh, present, uh, we're so glad that you can join us for worship uh, if in the event, you know, with uh, the virus spreading, um, you know, you get sick or you come in close contact, we do want to let you know that our live stream worship is available. Um, but it's so great to see you all. And uh, yeah, let's worship our Lord together and hear his word. Our vision, the vision of our church is to see the kingdom of God come into our homes, into our communities and into the world. Now, for the next month and a half, we're actually going to be focusing on the home aspect and we're going to be asking the question, what does it look like for the kingdom of God, for heaven to come inside our homes? Now, when it comes to our relationship with our family, there are actually two extremes. We have one extreme where the family is your obsession, where the family is your idol, where the family is your everything. And then we have the other extreme where your family is an object of neglect, it's an object of your indifference, maybe even repulsion. And between these two extremes, we find ourselves vacillating, going back and forth, struggling to find some sort of balance. Now, the goal of this teaching series is to actually go beyond this framework of obsession and neglect. Because the truth of the matter is, we're never really going to find true equilibrium or balance. Instead, the goal for this series is for us to discern, number one, why God has placed us in our respective families. Why has God placed us in our families? You know, outside of your spouse or a spouse, you know, family is something that you do not choose. Your parents, your siblings, your children, family is something that is entirely providential. And so first, what we want to do is we want to discern why God has placed us exactly 
where we are at. Why has God placed you in your family? And it's not just to grow your patience. That's the first reason. But the second reason, the second thing we want to discern is this. How is God calling each and every one of us to be not the best parent, not the best sibling, not the most obedient daughter or the kindest son, but we want to discern how God is calling us, each and every one of us, to be ambassadors of the kingdom of God in our homes so that we can see heaven come into our homes. And so in this teaching series, we're going to explore a number of different relationships. We're going to look at our relationship with our parents. Next, we're going to look at our relationship with our siblings. We're going to look at our relationship with our spouse. And then we're going to look at our relationship with our children. And finally, to sum this all up, I want to look at our responsibility as singles. Now today, we're going to begin with our relationship with our parents. And to do so, we're going to look at the example of Jacob in the Old Testament. Uh, There are three things, three points that I want to look at today. The first point is our desire for approval. Uh, The second point is others' inability to provide that need. And the third point is the gospel's answer. So first, our desire for approval. You know, through Jacob, this Old Testament character, we see something in him that exists in all of us. And that is our desire, our deep, deep desire for approval from our parents. Let me give you just some background information on Jacob. Uh, Jacob was born to Isaac and Rebekah. Those are his parents' name. And he was also born a twin alongside Esau, his older brother. Now, Jacob, his name means supplanter or one who circumvents. And Jacob received this name because when he was in his mother's womb, he was actually wrestling with his older brother. And when he came out, he was grabbing onto the heel of his brother. In other words, Jacob, even in the time of his, even when he was in his mother's womb, he was trying to cut in front of his brother. He was trying to be the firstborn. This was Jacob. He was a shortcut taker. He was not the most honest fellow. And while his brother Esau liked to hunt and be outdoors, Jacob, he liked to be indoors. Esau was hairy. He was bold. He was your prototypical male. He was well-liked. He was straightforward. While Jacob, he was effeminate. He was sensitive. He was cunning. He was cut from a different cloth. He was not your typical male in the ancient Near East. As a result of this, Jacob was never the favorite child. He lived his life in his brother's shadow, and he lived his life always competing for attention, and he desired above all things his father's approval, which it seems he never received. You know, today's passage, Genesis 27, the one that we read, shows us the extent to which Jacob is willing to go to receive his father's approval. What does he do? When his father says to Esau, his older brother, bring me your best game so that I can give you my final blessing, so that I can give you my words of affirmation and approval, what does Jacob do? 
He goes out. He deceives his father. He puts on his brother's clothing. He steals his brother's birthright. He lies to his father as he's nearing death. And he gets caught. And as a result, he basically has to run away. Jacob is willing to lose everything he has to get that which his heart longed for. And that was his father's approval. You know, it's been well documented that innate in all of us as human beings, innate in all of us as children, is this deep desire for approval from our parents. Whether you're a young child calling out constantly, look at me, look at me, look at me, or you're a teenager who intentionally disobeys as a way to try to break free from this need for approval from your parents, or whether you're an adult who is independent, self-sufficient, yet is scarred by the past rejection from your parents. Friends, this need is in all of us. I mean, just observe children. You know, while we often mistake in children for these carefree souls, they are actually careful social beings who understand at a very young age rejection and acceptance from their parents. Before children learn anything, the first thing that they learn is what is rejection, what is acceptance. Children learn so quickly at a very, very young and tender age, what makes me lovable, what makes me acceptable. They learn at a very young age what attributes and actions do I need to hide because I'm going to get rejected. What careful song and dance do I need to do so that my parents would love me. You know, before children are even able to talk, they formulate the answers to all of these questions in their minds. Actress Cicely Tyson, in her memoir, wrote this, we may never realize the extent to which our behaviors impact our children, how they seek validation in our every word and smile, gaze, and gesture. Friends, even as adults, this desire does not evade us. Either you are still seeking their approval, or you've suppressed it hard enough, determined not to let it affect you. Either way, our parents' approval, or lack thereof, has great, great impact on our lives. You know, I realized this about me not too long ago. You know, when I was growing up, there was this saying that my father would always say. He would say it in Korean, and it translates roughly in this way. He, he would say to me, that's not enough. He would say that all the time, that's not enough. Whether it was uh, my, with my school grades or extracurricular activities or sports or whatever it was, anything that I would do, he would always utter to me, that's not enough. Now, I understand my father, the reason why he kept saying this to me was because I was his oldest son and he wanted to toughen me up. You know, he didn't want to see me turn out to become, you know, a participation trophy kid. If, if I was going to get crushed, he didn't want the world to do it, he wanted to do it. And so, yes, home was the school of hard knocks. It was always, that is not enough, that is not enough. In my late 20s, uh, I visited uh, my parents' home. I was with my wife, and my, I had two kids at that time. 
And I was following the Lord's calling. I was content. The Lord was good. He was, he was blessing me in, in, in so many different ways. And I was there that evening. I forget what occasion, but we were celebrating something. And then he looks over to me. And he says, do you think that's enough? And he says, that's not. That night, uh, we slept over. That those words, which, which I heard all, you know, throughout my childhood, and I used it as a way to strengthen myself, as a way to toughen myself up. You know, th- those words that evening, it, it had a different effect on me. I thought, that's not enough. What can I do to make it enough for you? And I realized that that evening, subsequent to that, as I shared this story with some of my close friends, I realized that that the way in which it was never enough, it affected my relationship with my parents. And I realized that that's the reason why I've never shared anything with my parents. I've never shared bad news with them. You know, I I recall the most traumatic event in my life was when I was in the fourth grade, I was riding my bike outside and a young teenager comes to me, holds a gun up to my head and tries to steal my bike. Now, luckily I was safe and I was able to get away. But I remember when I got home that afternoon, I didn't tell my mom about that event. Still to this day, she does not know. And whenever anything good would happen, if there was something to celebrate, I would never share it. I would always shrug it off as if it was nothing, as if it was not enough. You know, Jacob's desire for approval, we find here throughout his story in Genesis, it shapes much of his life. We find Jacob always competing for people's approval. Why? Because he never received it. Jacob is always threatening, threatened by others. Jacob is a man who always feels slighted as though people are looking down upon him. Jacob is a man who has a deep inferiority complex. And when life gets tough, Jacob's defense mechanism is to run away. He just leaves everything behind and he starts again anew. Friends, I'm not saying that desiring approval from your parents is a bad thing. It's a very natural thing. However, This gets messy and sometimes destructive because our deep need for approval is often met by our parents' inability to satisfy that need. That's the second point. If you look at today's passage and throughout this Genesis story of Jacob's life, Jacob, he doesn't develop these self-destructive habits and character deficiencies all on its own. No, he, he starts to develop these things because he has a desire to receive approval from his parents that are never fully met, that are never fully satisfied. You know, Isaac, at this point in his life, in, in, in Genesis 27, Isaac is actually physically blind. But he's not just physically blind, he's also metaphorically or symbolically blind. What is he blind to? Isaac is blind to the hurt and the pain he is causing his own son, Jacob. You think about Isaac. Who is Isaac? Isaac was the promised child. He was the golden boy. You know, outside of a very small event in Genesis 22, when his own father tried to sacrifice him, all throughout his life, Isaac, he was loved, he was cherished, he was favored. Isaac was the golden child. 
And after Genesis 22, you can imagine his parents overcompensated. Isaac, he is completely, as a parent, oblivious to the pain that he is causing his son. It's unintentional. How about his mother, Rebecca? She didn't make things better. She's the one who comes up with this plan for Jacob to trick his father. She thought, you know what? Helping Jacob would make up for all of Isaac's mistakes. But what does she do? She only perpetuates it. You see, there's brokenness all around. Now you think about Jacob, you think, you know what, Jacob has experienced this traumatic event, he's so broken, and when he becomes a father, he's going to be different. He's going to learn from all of this, and when he becomes a parent, he's not going to play favorites, he's going to love and accept all of his children all the time equally. Nope. Jacob does the exact same thing. When he has children, he favors Joseph. He favors him so much to the point that his brothers get jealous and they sell him as a slave. Friends, this is a very hard truth to swallow, but I I think all of us need to acknowledge that you and I are more like our parents than we would like to admit. We are more like them than we would like to admit. And our parents are more like their parents than they would like to admit. Families are not just dysfunctional, but there's a cyclical dysfunction within families that often gets perpetuated over and over and over, passed down from generation to generation. Now, I find this to be both a discouraging yet encouraging point. Most parents in the Bible, they were unable to meet the desires of their children, and dysfunction in the family goes all the way back to Adam. What do we find, Genesis 3? The first spouse, the spouse that God had brought together and ordained. They fight. They blame each other. What about the first sons, the first children, brothers and brothers? What do they do? They kill each other. Well, brother kills brother. And then from there, what happens? We find throughout the story of Genesis, parents are playing favorites. The story of family in the Bible is a complete mess. Adam's family is more dysfunctional than the Kardashians. It's so messed up. You know, as the Bible understands it, friends, dysfunction in the family is not because of bad parenting, right? Dysfunction in the family is not because of bad parenting or bad circumstances or even bad fortune, which we like to blame. But dysfunction in the family is because of sin. The people who are closest to one another out of good intention want to love one another. But yet because of sin, we will inevitably hurt and sin against one another. That is the unfortunate yet inevitable truth. That parents are bad parents because of sin. Children. Your parents are deeply flawed because they are sinners. You know, we've been talking about what does it look like for the kingdom of God to come into our homes. And this is just, you know, a side application. You know, how is it that we can see the kingdom of God come into our homes? I think we have to start 
by not holding our parents to unreasonable expectations. When we start to view our parents through the lens of mercy, when we start to actually see them as sinners in need of grace, not as Superman, not as Wonder Woman, but when we start to see them as sinners in need of grace, when the scales fall off your eyes and you say, you know what, when the expectations are, my mother is my mother, she is Mother Teresa, when you let go of that expectation, and when you start to see them as sinners in need of grace, that's when the work of redemption that's when kingdom work can actually begin in the household. You know, if we continue to resent, continue to hold grudges, continue to demand something from them that they probably have not experienced or had the bandwidth to provide, we are just like that unforgiving servant in the kingdom parable. The one who was so graciously forgiven by the king, an enormous debt, yet demanding exact payment from someone else. Friends, to see the kingdom of God come into our family, to see the kingdom of God start to affect your relationship with your parents, it probably starts with you as a child learning to let go. Now, friends, I'm not trying to be insensitive here. I don't know everyone's situation and some of the things that you've experienced. But often our hurt, disappointment stems from having these expectations that, frankly, our parents cannot meet. You know, I'm trying to live by this in my relationship with my parents. You know, some of our members have expressed to me how they are in this middle stage where they're old enough where they have to take care of their parents yet they have children that they still need to take care of. And so they're taking care of both sides. You know, I'm trying to desperately live by this, where I'm forever grateful and thankful for all of the sacrifices my parents have made, yet at the same time, I cannot keep holding them to these unreasonable expectations. I need to start seeing them as sinners in need of grace, and I am called to be a conduit of God's grace and mercy to them. And I hope, it is my prayer, that my own children would view me and my wife in that exact same way. We are sinners who often fail in satisfying their longings and desire for approval. Yet at the end of the day, I pray that my own children would see me as a broken man in need of grace. You know, whatever expectation we have, whatever deep longing for approval we have, that cannot be fully satisfied. By our parents. Which brings us to the third point, and that is the gospel's answer. You know, as I mentioned, Jacob, he wrestles all throughout his life with people and situations. Jacob, his character flaws result in broken relationships. He often dealt with problems by running away. Jacob was a man who walked around with a chip on his shoulder, always trying to prove his worth and value, always trying to earn other people's approval. Even in his adulthood, Jacob is a man who carried around with him the wounds and scars of rejection from his youth. And you would think Jacob going into a new land, starting all over again, 
He goes to a new land after he gets caught, you know, by his brother. He goes to a new land and he's thinking, you know what? I'm no longer going to be Jacob the supplanter. I'm going to get married. I'm going to get married to a beautiful bride. I'm going to have children. I'm going to settle down and I'm going to leave that past life behind me. I'm going to heal. And I'm no longer going to be Jacob the deceiver. But as he lives his life, what happens? His sins surface again in his relationship with his wife, his uncle. The new Jacob is still the old Jacob. Until, until Jacob finally comes face to face with God. You see, it's in chapter 32 where Jacob wrestles with God. You know, all throughout his life, Jacob was a man who wrestled with others. He wrestled with his parents, his brothers, his uncle, his wife, and he even wrestled with himself. But when he wrestles with God, and when he meets God, and when he allows, when God allows Jacob to win, that's when Jacob, everything he's been longing for and finding, looking for, that's what he finds. He finally finds it in his encounter with God. The approval, the love, the blessing that he sought from his parents were fully satisfied when he met God. Children, friends, this is the answer for you and I this morning. We all have a longing and desire for ultimate acceptance. As a child, we've experienced rejection, and as we get older, we know what we have to do to hide our flaws We know the words we need to say to avoid rejection. We know the song and dance too well. What we're longing for is a father, a mother who has the ability, the capacity to accept us and approve of us despite who we are. And that can only be found in the person of Jesus. You know, like Jacob in today's passage, the approval that we seek can only come by putting on our older brother's clothes. In Genesis 27, Jacob pretends to be Esau. He pretends to be Esau by actually putting on his clothes. And when Jacob pretends to be Esau, these are the words that he hears. For the very first time in his life, he hears this, Come near, my son. He hears, The hands are the hands of Esau. He hears, come near me and kiss me, my son. These are the words he hears from his father. See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. When Isaac lays his hand on Jacob, Jacob hears For the very first time in his life, these words of affirmation, these words of approval, these words of unconditional love. And you can imagine Jacob, as he's hearing these words, he is breaking down inside. Because he is finally hearing and receiving that which he longed for. Oh, the bliss of my father saying, my son, come near me. Yet, Jacob is broken inside. Because he knows he's not deserving of this. Jacob knows he is only receiving this love and approval because his father thinks he is his older brother. Friends, this is the gospel of good news. 
that when we believe and trust in Jesus, we are putting on his clothing. We are taking upon us his righteousness. We are receiving his spirit, his image, and God's favor to the point that when God sees us, he doesn't see needy Stephen. He doesn't see fearful John. He doesn't see sinful Peter. No, he touches your hands. He touches my hands. And he says, ah, oh, the hands of my son's nail-pierced hands. Ah, oh, the clothes of righteousness Oh, the sweet, sweet aroma of faithfulness. You are my son. You are my daughter. Come near me. See, in Jesus, when God sees us, he sees his son. The only difference is God is not blind. He's not like Isaac where he needs to be tricked into thinking you are like Jesus. No, It's God the Father. He's the one who runs to you and clothes you first. Remember the other kingdom parable we went through? The kingdom of the prodigal son? Where the father runs out to meet the son. And he orders that the best robe be put on him. And what does the father do? The father accepts him. Not because of what he did. He accepts him. Not because of what he was going to say. But he accepts him despite what he's done. He accepts him because he is his son. And he puts the best on him and says, my son, welcome home. Pastor Ray Ortman says this. The need of your heart for belovedness goes far beyond anything any sinner can say or do. And that includes your parents. Children, Your parents can't satisfy your deepest longing for approval. That can only be found in Jesus. You know, there are many reasons why the Bible refers to us as children. But I think this is one of the reasons. Because the Bible is telling us that everything we have learned from childhood, all the song and dance... Everything that we've learned, what gets accepted, what gets rejected, we need to unlearn all of that, and we need to relearn acceptance and approval through Christ. As children, we need to learn this over and over again. We need to unlearn, and we need to relearn. You know, you wonder why, you know, as humans... You know, you, as uh, humans have probably the longest childhood among uh, most mammals, right? You know, children, they stay with their parents. You've stayed with your parents probably until the age of 17, 18. Uh, some, some of you, you're still living with your parents at the age of 20 or 30. You know, children have, are humans, we have the longest childhood. As opposed to these animals, you know, a year, 10 days, they're off on their own. Why do we have the longest childhood? Because we have to do so much learning and growing up. And you know, the gospel, as it calls us children, it's telling us to unlearn everything we've experienced and relearn the Father's love. Relearn it. You know, after years of hearing, that's not enough, that's not enough. I had to learn over again, God saying, that is enough. 
You are enough. I am enough. You know, the Bible likens many times God to a mother. You know, there's one passage in Isaiah 42 where God asks this hypothetical question. He says, you know what? Have you ever seen a nursing mother forget her child? Have you ever seen a nursing mother forget her child? The answer is no. No matter how tired you are, no matter how weak you are, no matter how distant you are, you can hear your child calling out from so far away. But God says, even if that's so, even if a mother is able to forget her nursing child, God does not. God is better than a mother. God's love for you is stronger than your mother's love. Friends, church, this is the only way. This is the only way you can actually free your parents from the crushing expectation of absolute, unconditional, ultimate acceptance. And this is the only way you can start to see your parents as broken people in need of grace. Where you can start to serve them without holding a grudge. Where you can love them without any expectation. Is when you find ultimate approval and satisfaction in God, your Father. When you relearn, when you grow up again, learning that your love and approval, that your rejection does not depend on what you do, but it's on His Son. You know, we've read towards the end of Ephesians 6, and this is the strength and motivation to actually adhere to what Ephesians 6 is saying. You know, Ephesians 6 says, Obey your parents. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And it recalls the 10th commandment, honor your parents. It recalls this, this commandment to honor your parents. This is the only way we can find strength and motivation to adhere to this. You know, Ephesians 6 is not about morals or ethics or being a good society or being a good people. It's not about being a good son. But Ephesians 6 are actually kingdom principles. How is it that we can live as kingdom ambassadors? It's by obeying our parents. You know, I've talked about this in the past, but, you know, this is, I think, it's, it's a good reminder for all of us that when, when Paul is saying, listen, this is how kingdom ambassadors live, right? It doesn't say, obey your parents in the Lord, for they are right. No. What does it say? It says, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It is right to obey your parents. We obey our parents not because they are right. We obey our parents not because... They have given to us what we need. We obey our parents not because they have given us absolute approval and unconditional acceptance. No, we obey our parents because this is right. It's the right thing to do. We honor them. We give weight to their words. We held them in high esteem. Why? Because we are not demanding or exacting anything from them. Because all of what we need has been sufficiently met in God our Father. You know, let me end with this. Um, I heard a mother recently say this about her children. Uh, a mother said this. She said, the days are long, but the years are short. 
The days are long, but the years are short. What she was expressing through this is, you know, every day it's so difficult to get through the day to care for my children. But when I look back, the years are just so short. You know, when I heard this, I was like, you know what? This isn't just true for parenting, but this is true for all of family relationships. Right? You live with your parent for how long? 20 years? You parent your child for how long in your household? 20 years? You're with your siblings for how long? Depending on the age gap, 15 years? You live with your spouse at most, what, 50 years? The reason why I bring this up is because, I don't know, for some reason, when it comes to family, we often think we have all the time in the world. But that's not the case. And especially as it relates to the kingdom of God, there is, friends, always a sense of urgency. The kingdom is always met with the sense of urgency. We pray, let your kingdom come now, today, in this moment, during this gathering, during this dinner. Let your kingdom come now. There's a sense of urgency with the kingdom. But too often, when it comes to family, we view it as though we have forever. You know, there'll come a time when I'll be able to teach my children the way of the Lord. There'll be a time when I'll be able to reconcile with my siblings. There'll be a time when I'm able to serve my parents. But friends, the days are long, but the years are short. The kingdom is advancing. It is upon us. And the call is for us as children to be ambassadors of the kingdom to our parents. The prodigious love of the father that we find in Luke 15 of the prodigal son. We are now called to show that love, to give that love, and to exemplify that love to our parents. And so children, as you find your sufficiency in him through Christ, Will you go and serve and love your parents? Let's pray. If uh, we could just take a few minutes to reflect. I know, you know, I've done a, yeah, it's, it's, I cast a wide net. It was a large survey, a wide survey of just our relationship. And there are a lot of things that probably I've missed, didn't cover. Yes, and maybe some insensitivity. But, but friends, regardless of how good your parents were or in your eyes, how poor they were, the truth is they cannot meet your expectations for approval. That longing for a mother who will never forget us, who will always be near us, that can only be met by our God in heaven through Christ. The expectation, the desire we have for our Father to look upon us and no matter what we do, say, that's enough. You are my son, you are my daughter. That can only be met in Christ. That can only be met through our older brother. Would you, at this time, 
like Jacob, hear the words of complete affirmation and approval upon you. Come near me, my son. These are the hands of my son. These are the hands of my perfect son. Would you hear those words upon you? And would you pray that that would be enough for you, that whatever expectation that you have for your parents, whatever desires you have, whatever grudges you are holding, that we can let go and that we can be kingdom ambassadors, seeing them through the lens of grace and mercy, where we see the kingdom of heaven come upon our families and our homes and our relationships and our difficult and complex relationships with our parents. Let's take this time to pray. God, it is our earnest prayer this morning that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in our homes, that it would be done in our relationship with our parents. Father, we acknowledge the dysfunction. We acknowledge the cyclical dysfunction. We acknowledge the hurt, the pain, the resentment, even among really, really good parents. And we acknowledge for those who are parents, that, that we often fail in so many ways. But God, we thank you for the good news of redemption, for the good news of satisfaction that we have in Christ. And Father, if there is any soul in here who is deeply longing for unconditional love and acceptance, that you would draw them near to your son, Jesus Christ. Father, Lord, we ask that instead of trying to, God, instead of trying to find it in others, instead of running away and starting anew, instead of the old Jacob, we ask, oh God, that you would give us full contentment and joy as we find full satisfaction in you. And so in so doing, Lord, to our parents, some who are young, some who are old, that we would be ambassadors of your kingdom, that we would be those who carry the good news, that we would be ministers of reconciliation to them, that we would see them as sinners in need of grace that we would extend that grace upon them. So God, we thank you so much 
for the ways in which you work. You are a good and perfect Father, and all your ways are just. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At this time,